Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. During today's episode, I'll be talking about U.S.-China relations, which is almost always a very complicated issue. Let me try to address three things during this discussion. First is an overview of the relationship. Second is the very complicated issue around Taiwan. And third is about competitiveness, particularly in the context of recent action that has taken place from our Congress here in the United States. Before I begin, I just want to let everyone know that we're going to be taking a break from current account for the next month for the usual August break, and we'll be back again in September. The overview that I'm about to provide comes in the context of the recent phone call between China's President Xi and U.S. President Biden. It's been unfortunate that the two leaders of the two biggest economies in the world have not been able to meet since the Biden administration began. And it's one of the few times that they've actually been able to even speak. And this has largely been due to the pandemic, as well as to travel restrictions into and out of China. My 30-second summary of U.S.-China relations over the last 20 years is that the dynamic has changed from periods of extreme tension to intensified diplomatic overtures, from competing on the world stage to becoming so economically interconnected that a decoupling of the two countries sometimes seems difficult to imagine. However, tensions seem to have reached a crescendo, if you will, during the Trump administration, as President Trump took a more hardline, confrontational approach toward Beijing, particularly on trade issues, but other issues as well. During his campaign, President Biden criticized President Trump and promised a new policy toward China. To be honest, though, there hasn't been much new about the policy, and President Biden has pretty much kept the Trump administration policies in place. The only noticeable distinction has been that the Biden administration has tried to take a more multilateral approach than the Trump administration. So has the relationship gotten worse or better during the Biden administration? It's probably arguable, of course, but I would say it's actually gotten worse. And some would say it's at the lowest point in history. For example, just a few days before recording this episode, the U.S. accused China of aggressive and irresponsible behavior toward other nations in the region as China was trying to claim more sovereignty over the South China Sea. In other words, what was once a trade war between two countries now seems to be a trade war, a technology war, an investment war. And obviously, one thing we don't want to find out is that it becomes a military war. But what we are looking at is a potential decoupling of these two nations. Basically, the trust between China and Beijing is on thin ice, and it's not expected to get better anytime soon, especially given the political season that we're about to enter in this fall, both in China and in the United States. In October or November, China will hold its National People's Congress, which happens every five years. And this time, it looks like President Xi will likely secure an unprecedented third term as party leader. At the same time, on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, the United States will have its midterm elections for Congress. Though being tough on China seems to be an issue that has bipartisan support from both Republicans and Democrats, it is likely during the campaign run-up, as well as afterwards, that we are going to hear more and more tough rhetoric coming out of policymakers and legislatures about China after these midterm elections. 
The second point of this phone call that is going to be tricky is the discussion about Taiwan. For those who are unaware about what's going on with Taiwan, let me try to explain. Nancy Pelosi, who is the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives here in the United States, and who is also second in line to the presidency after Vice President Kamala Harris, has discussed a possible trip to Taiwan in August. If Speaker Pelosi makes the trip, she'll be the highest ranking U.S. official to visit Taiwan in 25 years. In response to the issue rising that she will go, Beijing has sent a very stern warning to the United States declaring that if Speaker Pelosi visits Taiwan, they will counteract, whatever that means. U.S. officials have stated that this warning was stronger than those made by Beijing in the past and that the U.S. needs to be treading very carefully. In the time that I have to record this podcast, it'll be nearly impossible for me to explain cross-strait relations and the U.S. policy toward Taiwan. But let me provide just a little bit of context into why this is such a delicate and tense situation. The long and complicated history between China and Taiwan has been a point of friction for a long time between the United States and China. Although the U.S. approach to Taiwan has remained consistent across administrations and is guided by what is called the One China Policy. In essence, the United States opposes any unilateral changes to the status quo on the part of either China or Taiwan. The U.S. does not have diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but it does carry out unofficial relations and has a robust cooperative relationship in a number of areas with Taiwan. In addition, the United States, as codified by the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979, could provide Taiwan with, and I'm going to quote here, arms of a defensive character and shall maintain the capacity of the United States to resist any resort to force or other forms of coercion that could jeopardize the security, social, or economic system of the people of Taiwan, unquote. As you can tell, this is a tricky subject. And one of China's leading scholars recently, Zhu Fang, Dean of the Institute of International Studies at China's Nanjing University, said a visit to Taiwan by Pelosi would be, quote, playing with fire, unquote. So why does Pelosi want to visit? Well, first of all, she probably just feels like she's allowed to visit wherever she'd like to visit. And she's been a critic of the People's Republic of China throughout her 30 years in Congress. And she recently stated, it is important for the United States to show support for Taiwan. Anyway, U.S.-Taiwan relations and the U.S. relations with China over these issues will continue to be very diplomatically complicated. So I think a point that President Biden will try to be doing is how does he mitigate these issues with his discussions with President Xi? The third point I wanted to call attention to is the issue of competition between the United States and China. I'm going to look at this from the U.S. perspective. So in competition in sports, particularly running, the basic idea is there are two ways to beat your opponent who might be faster than you. First, grab their jersey and try to slow them down. The second, train harder, bring better resources, get your focus more on the race, and try to beat them. So for the United States, we kind of seem to try both approaches. Just recently, the Senate passed, and it is expected that the House will pass, a bill called the CHIPS Plus Act. The CHIPS Plus Act is a bill that includes a $52 billion funding package for U.S. companies that produce semiconductor chips, including $39 billion to improve domestic facilities and equipment for manufacturing, as well as a tax credit for investment in chip manufacturing. The bill is seemed to get barely decent bipartisan support, and it is essentially an industrial policy bill. 
something that the United States usually hasn't supported in the past, but the idea of semiconductors was considered to be too important and industrial policy needed to be used. There was a defensive aspect, the tugging the jersey aspect, that was also dropped near the end of this chips bill, but could come back. And I think it is worth talking about because I think that those in the audience may be needing to understand it better in the future. And this is what's called an outward bound investment screening mechanism. If you have no idea what I just said, that's because this has never really been tried before. What this means is basically the United States government would mandatorily screen investments, whether the direct investments or indirect investments, including the financing, as well as even guidance for firms in a variety of different sectors for countries of concern. Read China. And those different sectors include semiconductors, biotechnology, but also pharmaceuticals. The question has been, can you actually do something like this? Will it work? Will it actually make the United States less competitive as other countries don't have to go through this screening mechanism? These are issues that will be discussed in the future because it is almost assuredly going to come up in future legislation. Now I'd like to do the three, two, one. Three takeaways or summary points from today's episode. Two things that I'm looking forward to and my one sports fact of the week. The three takeaways are One, tensions between the United States and China has gotten worse since Joe Biden took office. That's not to blame Joe Biden, it's just that it actually has happened. And they are likely to remain high, the tension that is, given that both nations are entering a difficult political season this coming fall. Next, Speaker Pelosi's possible trip to Taiwan is a source of concern for both President Biden as well as for President Xi. And finally, The U.S. and China's relationship is a key galvanizing issue that has caused U.S. policymakers to think of new ways to push the United States to be more competitive with China. At the same time, though, policymakers are trying to keep a defensive stance against China. To put it simply, the different policy ideas that have been put forward has at least the potential of being a fairly messy stew that could actually cause even worse relationships between the two powerful countries. The two things that I'm looking forward to are, I'm interested to see what comes out of the Chinese Communist Party's National Congress in November. We'll be seeing signs of that starting in August for the next few months. It is China's big political season. And will President Xi be reelected for a third term? And second, I am keeping an eye on this investment screening mechanism that I discussed at the end of the podcast. And I'm curious to what comes out of it and whether or not it could be put forward in a targeted way or will be kept as broad and vague as the current definitions seem to make it. My sports topic for today is the Women's Euro Cup. The final game will take place on Sunday, July 31. The two teams battling it out will be England and Germany. And the Women's Euro Cup has been dominated by Germany, who has won eight titles. However, Germany's opponent, England, has actually never won the Euro Cup, so it is a big deal. They have not been in the final since the 2009 Euro Cup, so if they win, it'll be their first win ever. In the semifinals, England beats Sweden, which is currently the second-ranked team in the world, 4-0. But not only did England win, the game also broke records for attendance at a Euro semifinal. In the other semifinal, Germany beat France. France is also, like England, has never won this before. In addition to being excited about the finals that will take place on Sunday, 
It also raises a different issue for me, which is the dominance of the United States women's team in soccer. When it comes to the World Cup and the Olympics and other international sporting competitions where individuals represent their country or teams represent their country, I will almost always root for the United States, which is largely because I was born here and raised here. The U.S. women's national team has been the dominant team in women's soccer for a long time, and they have won the last two World Cup. But what you see with the Euro Cup is the rise of teams like England, as well as the continuing power of Germany, that the U.S. women's national team, the competition is getting greater and better. And it is not necessarily going to be the case going forward that the U.S. women's team will be the dominant player. Anyway, that's for the future. Right now, I'm just looking forward to Sunday's game. So I'll be taking a break for the rest of August, but I'll be back in September for more episodes of Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you, and have a great rest of your summer. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show, as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at iif.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.